Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. I am your host, Patty, and my special guest today is Emily Kagan Trenchard, Senior VP and Head of Consumer Digital Solutions for Northwell Health in New York. Emily and I cover a range of topics related to the new focus on consumers, on patient data, and on the technology and analytics infrastructure required to drive consumer and patient engagement in this coming era of digital health. There's a lot that we unpack on this episode, and I invite you to jump in and enjoy this conversation. Before we start, a quick shout out to our partners, Be Well. I am thrilled to be here today with Emily Kagan Trenchard. She's a senior VP and head of consumer digital solutions at Northwell Health in New York. Emily, such a pleasure to have you on the show and welcome. Thanks, Patty. Really excited to talk to you today. Let's dive right in. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your role at Northwell and the key priorities this year for that role. Yeah, so my role at Northwell recently expanded. So I have been at Northwell about 15 years. I've originally started in uh, consumer-facing digital in the marketing division, right? So websites, digital signage, social media. And about four years ago, the organization recognized we needed to look at particularly the consumer digital space with a little bit more focus and spun out a program that I ran called Digital Patient Experience, DPX. As that program really gained legs, as well as many other digital initiatives around the health system in other areas, not necessarily just consumer-facing, there was a growing recognition that what was happening in pockets previously for digital transformation needed to come together into something that was more consolidated so we could move to that next level of maturity. And so with that, uh, this past year, they created a division of enterprise digital services for which there are five functional leads. There are leads over clinical digital solutions, IT operations, business analytics, innovation, and then and consumer. So in my new role, uh, Consumer Digital Solutions, we're putting arms not only around the things I was doing for Digital Front Door, as well as the consumer-facing websites and other digital touch points, but starting to say, where do we have initiatives where it's critical that we start to think more holistically about how we're connecting with patients and enabling care for them in a digital world? So a good example of this, there's plenty of utilities out there, folks who want to um, gather information from our patients in some sort of patient-reported outcomes, right? We have a ton of different tools in the market that can do various different versions of these questions. But how can we stop bombarding people with surveys and start being smarter about the utilities in which we gather this information so that we can truly exhibit a kind of institutional memory when someone tells us things, right? So when you start to think about those kinds of initiatives, they really sort of broaden the perspective of sort of the consumer's role at the table. And that was really the intention of making a consumer digital solutions uh, title on par with a clinical digital solutions title so they could be equal partners in this conversation. And to say, where do we have issues that we need to tackle together, right? So um, first and foremost, the biggest challenge that we're focusing on this year is simply access. 
This is really at its most base, something around capacity management, making sure that people can get into the appointments when they need them uh, with the providers that are best to see them in the right level of care for whatever's going on. But access is about much more than that. It's about getting questions answered. It's about the back and forth in between encounters. It's about getting, you know, prescriptions refilled, but asking a question about changing dosage, right? Like there's all the sort of interim things that occur in the course of uh, the space between an existing doctor's visit, which we can do so much better by, right? With different types of communication channels, et cetera, clearly a concerted effort on the operations side, clearly a concerted effort on the consumer side, that would be one example of something that has a number of projects that we're now able to sort of pull together into a more comprehensive program that we can run in this sort of more agile and matrixed way. So access is big for us. I have a really big focus this year on identity and identity management in order to form a real, truly a master consumer index here. And when I say that, I do mean more than just patients. I mean, caregivers as well. We really need to have a centralized way of of codifying information we know about people so that it can traverse more than just what's in an EMR, um, but in, in all sorts of engagement touch points. So that's a very big one for us. And really the sort of final piece that we're, we're spending a lot of time focusing on right now is where do we need to mature some of our channels? Because there's a lot of channels that, that, that we've started with that are sort of the standards, the websites, the apps, email, text messaging, et cetera. But chat functionality, huge. So much you can do there. IVR and voice automation, lots and lots of opportunity. It's really time to not just have those types of channels be happening in pockets for small bits of experimentation, but truly make them a part of core platform infrastructure, again, for the providers, for the staff, as well as for communications back to to patients and caregivers. And so that's a big sort of rounding out of our omni-channel portfolio, which we're also focusing on this year. You pretty much covered all the key elements that I, I hear from other executives as well. Uh, you talked about uh, patient identity or consumer identity. You talked about access as a focus area. And again, this year, I hear more and more about access in the context of growth, end-to-end experiences, and so on. And of course, the omni-channel communication piece. Now, all of these need to come together in a somewhat seamless way. Where are you in that journey? Talk to us a little bit about some of the successes that you've had and what you consider as sort of unfinished business or work in progress. Talk to us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, sounds good. So there's the notion of orchestration writ large. Then there's the notion of in specific omnichannel orchestration, right? So let's take the larger concept first. When we're talking about this type of orchestration, sometimes we do truly mean it in the, do you send the text message before the email? And if they open the email, do you even bother with the text message in that sort of a comms level uh, orchestration? And if, you know, the foundation wants to send something out asking about a donation, don't send it to this person who just had a patient complaint, right? You know, there's that level of orchestration orchestration, which maybe I think is sort of the sort of level one of just understanding who's trying to talk to the patient at any given time and is it appropriate and whose go is it. But the other type of orchestration we're starting to see is the importance of trying to orchestrate in-person engagements with online engagements, right? Where do you have someone starting a task but not finishing it that you pick up now in an office? Where did you start a task in an office that now you complete online? Where do you have a customer service call that came in and then followed up with a billing question? When it hands off to billing and they're irate, can the office know about that next time they show up there? So it's an orchestration around engagement 
engagement that really needs to traverse the online and offline world. And so I would say that is a place where we know the work to be done. It's truly about putting in the tools to enable that to occur, right? So you can start in some places. And what we've really done is to say, how can we do this at the customer service and call center level first, right? Um, I think that's one of the the easier places to start to go back and forth. And in in healthcare, especially for those of us who have um, ambulatory networks, uh, you can consider the front desk as a part of some of that as well. That truly becomes a customer service desk as well as a call center uh, touch point. How do we at least get those folks all understanding where someone last left off, right? And so this gets into um, sort of broader CRM strategy. And this is obviously not just what happens in marketing. This is a larger, the, the CRM is a philosophy. So that's that's a really important concept. And if we bounce off of that one, one click further out from what you would traditionally consider, you can start to do that with providers as well, right? When you start to think about your referral management strategy, when you start to think about your network growth, how do you take this concept of consumer relationship management and think about your consumer as your providers, as the people who you want to grow relationships with one another, to find patterns of referral, to improve capacity, to improve collaboration. Can you take those utilities, use them on behalf of a provider network, and now actually take the the connective threads you build there and use that to unlock capacity, use that to unlock cross-network support for complex patient care, right? So I think that I would say is the next generation of where our heads are at in terms of taking CRM strategy, which we've really matured in our, you know, kudos to our marketing department for really building just an incredible CRM program there and expanding that concept out for that online offline transition, as well as over into uh, the provider space. So I would say let's, that's really the the bigger orchestration question that starts and and you can cascade that into a whole lot of other places. I'll leave that one there for now. Yeah. So you you talked about omnichannel and that is uh, definitely on everyone's minds. Uh, You also talked about what some people are referring to as a multimodal. We're entering a hybrid care model. This uh, people coming into the clinic for services, they're taking some of the services online or virtual as the case may be. And then you need to track them and follow them through different states that they're in and uh, make sure that you're communicating with them appropriately at every stage of the process. When you look at all this, what are the basic enablers that you absolutely, absolutely need to have in place? For instance, you mentioned patient identity as a big focus area. Is that kind of like a building block, a foundation that you absolutely must have in place before you can really make any of this a reality? Yeah, I would say patient identity is one of these like do not pass go, do not collect $200 first steps, right? And now, and then there's nuance within that, right? So we start with patient identity, right? Do you even know who is your patient? Do you have an email address for them? Do you have a cell phone on file? Do you know if it's working, right? Did you get, did somebody fat finger it in, right? And do you have the right consents to communicate? right? Permissions, right? And that's even before you talk about preference. I prefer a text message over an email, et cetera. So that's just on the individual patient level. But truly where my focus and interest in is actually not just for the patient, but for the caregiver. And that's where you start to get interesting because you will now want to have an identity that is not just for the people who have an MRN. You want to have an identity for anyone who comes and is responsible for someone's care in your organization in order to go back and forth and communicate. So I would say, again, start with your identity, mature your concept of identity so that you can build a larger framework. Now, let's say you've got the identity piece locked or you say, you know what, I got it for patients. Let me just start there. The next thing I think folks really need to be sure that they have is some sort of 
communications backbone that's going to allow you to do omnichannel. And let's just start with email and text message, right? There's a lot more channels you can talk about, but let's just start here. When you're talking about any CRM worth its salt, it's going to have email, it's going to have text messaging capabilities. And the power is not whether or not you can send any one of those kinds of comms. The power is in deciding which one to send and when, right? And when you send an email, do you need to send a text? Because the name of the game here is really trying to find economies and scale and cost efficiencies in that communications. If I send someone an email and ask them to confirm that appointment and I don't have to send that follow-up text message, might have saved myself four cents a message. Not a big deal on an individual level, way cheaper than getting a cancellation, certainly to send that out. But I'd rather not spend anything if my email costs are already baked into my CRM contract or something, right? And if I'm not responding with that automated uh, text message, maybe then I'm going to an IVR or sending them to a chase list where I have a human pick up the phone to call. But if I can handle all of that before a human picks it up, even better, right? So what you're really looking for is something that's going to have that sort of dynamic intelligence. Someone responded, not only did I fire off a message, here's what happened to that message when it went out into the world. And here's how I'm going to change my messaging behavior based on that input. And that can be on a case-by-case basis for an individual. That can be an aggregate as you learn about what helps with campaigns to perform better. That can be on a cohort basis when you start to identify different groups of people who should have different messaging cadences. But that is really where you can start to do sort of like level one multi-channel comms customization and not just recognize the benefit of having any digital comms, but having digital comms that can be intelligent that can learn and can be dynamic with one another to truly optimize your spend in that area. Let's take a quick break. And I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors, Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. You covered a lot of ground there, and of course, on this podcast, we tend to talk about the technology enablement of many of these programs. You talked about CRM, and we've done a significant amount of work in the CRM space. Most health systems are in very, very early stages of a CRM journey relative to, let's say, other sectors that are much, much further ahead. And in the context of healthcare, there are some very unique factors that need to be considered. Now, you may have an EHR platform at the back end, for instance, from from where you pull the data. You're combining campaigns to your uh, yet-to-be patients uh, with campaigns for those who are already patients. You've talked about a number of things, communication preferences, et cetera, et cetera, patient identity. So from a tech standpoint, Can you talk to us a little bit about how Northwell is approaching this? I want to go back to your earlier comment too about how there are different heads of different aspects of an enterprise digital strategy. Tell us a little bit about how the governance for all of this works, bringing the tech together, bringing the program together. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So let's talk about what tech pieces are there. And then we can start to say, well, what does this mean for one of the heads to come in and be involved here? So naturally, when we start to talk about just having that sort of backbone, right? Who are we talking to? Where are the data elements coming from? Obviously, my partner who leads the uh, business intel and analytics division is critical because we're looking at all these different data sources. And you're right, from a marketing standpoint, not only are you going to have the sources which you typically look at in a healthcare institution, you know, your EMRs and your reg systems, et cetera, 
But we have third-party data when we look at our marketing utilities. And it's an important thing, right? We need a little bit of church and state from first-party and third-party data. What marketing is doing in reaching out to addressable market is different than those who might already be engaged or might already be a caregiver or might already have an MRN. And so we need to find ways to have the right levels of not just governance, but segmentation in the data domains. Right. And we need to make sure that when we're thinking about what traverses where, we understand the intended use of the data so that we're using things in ways that are appropriate, that are aligned with people's consent. And especially with all of the new laws around like GDPR and right to be forgotten, et cetera, there's certain types of information that can be forgotten and certain that can't because of uh, regulations, right? So level one, do you know your sources? Do you know how to segregate your sources? Do you know how to clean them? Do you know how to map them and match them, dedupe them, et cetera? Now, when you got these data elements, now you want to talk about doing fun things with them. How do you mix and match? How do you add additional data from different domains? How do you do analyses that put segmentations on top or do predictive modeling on top of these things, right? That's where you can take data to the next level. And for that, if in the beginning, what you want to do is keep things tight and clean, when you want to do the fun stuff, you want to be able to bring in as many different variants and flavors as possible. So where our philosophy and strategy is going is is heading towards, and again, let me say that we have a we have CRMs today, which do a really fantastic job and are pretty mature as things are considered. But we're really looking to move towards a CDP, right. which is a, a consumer data platform. And this is really an omnivorous kind of platform um, where you don't have to have structured data necessarily. You don't need to know what you're going to put into it in order to put things in and then crosswalk, make it referenceable and available to a number of different end consumers. And so that's where our roadmap is taking us. That's a 23-24 initiative for us in order to get to CDP. Now, when you talk about a CDP, you're talking about infrastructure. So here I would involve my partners from IT because we really do need this to be a backbone that different end consumers, whether it's our lab system, whether it's our call center, whether it's marketing, et cetera, can reference, can put information back into, can gain insights for the data science teams and can apply back out. So that is where we really need to make sure that they've got a hand in making sure that this truly becomes a a functional utility that is provided inside the organization, truly becomes an engine for us, right? So now you've got clinical pieces and innovation pieces. So of course you want to do data science, you want to do interesting data products, you can stand it on a backbone like this. And when you want to now take the same types of layers of intelligence and say, okay, talk to me about someone's social determinants of health, overlay that with these risk factors we have coming out of the EMR and put together an engagement model for me that's customized specifically for this person in this neighborhood. That's where we all want to get to, right? That true one-to-one, you need to be able to overlay the data sets. They need to be able to talk, to learn from one another, even though the governance of them as source data points might be in different areas, right? That's why we talk about domains, right? Um, It starts to get into some of these concepts around data mesh that a lot of us are starting to think about. So that really would be sort sort of evolution of where we're thinking towards and how you really do need all of these different areas within an enterprise digital view in order to be sure that you've got the parts and pieces you need to not just do the basics, but to really make this one of the most transformative engines that you can have inside of a health system. Yeah, and the infrastructure is so critical, especially the data infrastructure. And of course, uh, Northwell just announced a a cloud partnership as well, which is going to power some of this. And uh, so it's going to be exciting times ahead. Now, let's talk about the consumers. Now, you're, you're putting all this in place to 
really understand your consumers slash patients, you know, serve them where they are, synchronously, asynchronously, any time of the day, anywhere they like, et cetera, et cetera. How are they responding to it? You know, can you talk to us a little bit about where you've seen the impact of all of your investments within your patient population? Talk to about maybe one or two successes that uh, our listeners can, can learn from. Sure. So we've had a number of different areas where we've taken digital tools and made self-service capabilities that I think are, are kind of the bread and butter of any sort of first engagement. And maybe I'll talk a little bit about where you see things that really are end up feeling a little bit more game-changing. So the first is probably around online bill payments. We think about paying every other thing in our life online. And not only do we think about the ability to pay it because you don't have to sit there and you don't have to write something out and find the checkbook and who even has a checkbook anymore, write in the credit card yeah. details, right? Or get on the phone. But the minute that you enable somebody to pay a bill online, you also have the ability to pull other bills in so that you can sort of roll up charges. You have the ability for people to do it maybe while they're on a meeting at work, while they're bored, because it's right there. And you have the ability to put in front of people different payment options. So if they're concerned or perhaps embarrassed about um, struggling in order to pay something, if you can enable right then and there an option to sign up for a payment plan, you have a degree of discretion with something that is deeply emotional, deeply personal, and quite frankly, a huge pain point inside of healthcare, which is helping people meet their financial responsibility. So we've already seen to date about 30% of all bill payment volume offloaded from phones and mail onto digital. And with that, you've seen a commiserate increase in the uh, speed to pay by about three weeks, greater speed to pay through digital uh, channels. We have seen a huge uptick in the number of people who are self-servicing on payment plans, which they used to have to call a call agent to get set up. And we have about 85 to 87% patient satisfaction with the entire experience. And if you think about it, nobody's happy to pay a bill for healthcare, especially. Um, <laughs> but to have 87% patient satisfaction in something that used to be the primary complaint for the organization, it's a huge success. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. And I can relate to it uh, really, really well because I am one of those guys sitting in a meeting quietly, you know, <laughs> on my phone, clearing, uh, you know, $200 outstanding. Right. So I can, I totally, totally get that. Let's talk a little bit about access because you talked about access as one of the priority areas. And you talked about one of the big pain points that I hear of all the time, and which I'm sure you're familiar with, is scheduling. Talk to us a little bit about how you tackle that. If you create all this infrastructure and provide all these ability for your consumers to take advantage of, and you're not enabling them at the back end to be able to do what they want to do is, let's say, online self-scheduling. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So I think when you talk about online scheduling, the very first thing you need to talk about is can you have those provider templates make availability for online scheduling? And so we're in an effort right now where we are looking at a lot of providers and trying to make sure that, you know, just because they have it available doesn't mean that there's a spot for the next three weeks. So what do we do in order to get that availability to be much sooner so that when you're scheduling, you're not, you know, clicking the forward button four times, five times, six times before you find the next available date and time to see the provider that you want to see online, right? So this is, this all presumes you can book online. Um, what do you, where do you go from there? So when we talk about freeing up capacity for providers, part of what we want to talk about is 
well, what really needs to be an in-person visit versus what can be telehealth, right? This is the world after the pandemic where telehealth is a foundational part of how people are going to get care and we're learning how best to use it, right? So where are there opportunities to actually say, well, the provider doesn't have an in-person visit, but you can do this one via telehealth. So we're looking at opportunities where we can actually take telehealth volume and roll it in with in-person volume. And what kinds of questions can you ask ahead of time in that scheduling flow to identify patients who are good candidates for a telehealth visit instead? Again, unlocking some of that capacity. The next thing that we're taking a look at also takes advantage of telehealth, which is where do you have patients who are coming in for certain things for which a telehealth consult is maybe most appropriate and it doesn't need to be with their specific doctor. So we have two programs running right now. The first is called ED On Demand, which is essentially an after-hours program for our emergency departments. There's a rotating call schedule of ED physicians who um, can take urgent matters in off hours. So you don't actually have to go into an urgent care or into an ED, but you can talk with an emergency medicine professional via telehealth and really get that assessment before you go anywhere else. And that is a great way to take what otherwise is urgent calls into uh, primary care, stops at the urgent care or into the emergency departments themselves and take a first round pass of that virtually. Patients love it. Providers love it. It really is a win. The variation on that that we're doing right now is what we call same day sick. If you are sick and you need to get in to see a provider today, is it because you actually need to see your provider and they only the ones who really deeply understand your case, or is it a UTI and you just need to get a script? Is it a sinus infection? Is it just a cut and you need to know if you can put the antibiotics on it, whatever it might be. Same concept, virtual pool of providers who can take call for same day sick. Again, this is rolling out in our primary care division. And It's fantastic because, again, it's taking this volume, which otherwise would have gone into the pool for the the patients who need to actually get in for maybe a true in-person same-day visit or your annual well and whatever else is is taking up our capacity for our primary care network. And it's offloading some of that volume into a care setting that is still appropriate for the need, but takes advantage of telemedicine in ways that, again, are that next turn of the crank um, now that we've got these tools all built and, and up and running since the pandemic. Yeah, these are great examples. And I could go on for hours. You've talked about so many aspects and approaches. And again, you know, between the lines, I, I hear things uh, related to behavioral economics, for instance, that you've rolled into these programs, you know, how to really understand consumers and craft these uh, programs for them so that you're able to meet your needs uh, and they're able to meet their needs as well. We're, uh, we're coming up to the end of our time on this podcast. And I do want to touch on one thing now. Obviously, a lot of these solutions are enabled by technology providers that cover the whole spectrum. You've got your EHR vendors, you've got your enterprise class platforms, you mentioned CRM, and then you're probably utilizing the services of very focused, best-in-class point solution providers as well. And in that context, even Rothwell also has an investment portfolio. A couple of your companies in the portfolio have actually been on my podcast as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you tap into innovation in the marketplace and what do you think of the present moment for digital health companies in in the context of all the pullback and VC funding and so on? Can you touch on that a little bit? Well, first and foremost, I'll say we have a new person starting on August 4th to lead our innovations pillar, as I mentioned, named Rebecca Call, who will be joining us from MD Anderson, formerly at UPMC. I'm super excited to have her. She's an incredible innovator. And I think that's really going to start to take our innovations approach to the next level. In our conversations about 
What does that mean? Where do we want to go? I think, as you mentioned, we definitely have had a huge appetite for investing in uh, new technologies we see. We have spun out companies out of our own employee solutions. We do a lot of custom development here inside of Northwell as well. But I think the name of the game right now is getting specific about what problem you're trying to solve because everybody and their brother has gone through these consolidations. Everybody and their brother is going to promise they do everything under the sun. And where do you see vendors that are going to add, quite frankly, as you said, niche specific enhanced capabilities that you can plug into existing platforms. The number of people who are going to be running health systems without some base platform infrastructure is shrinking by the day. So if you are out there and you're looking at these solutions and your answer is going to be, well, just rip and replace your blank and put in my, you know, whatever the product's going to be, it's a non-starter. If you're talking instead about coming with products that have very mature SDKs and APIs, if you're coming with products that have logic engines, which then can be consumed by other delivery endpoints, if you're coming with products that really nestle well into other existing platform infrastructures, I think you're going to see a whole lot of excitement to take those and really extend these platforms that we've all invested in way past the speed at which those vendors can actually move, right? And that we can move internally, especially in places where there are types of capabilities that are truly commodity in other industries, but we can take sort of best of breed and bring it back over into healthcare. That to me is a really, really exciting space. And so I think it's really about a retooling of some of where these companies were headed in the past, which is everybody wanted to be everyone's everything. Everybody wanted to be your full engagement suite, right? Everybody was going to solve every problem under the sun for you. And, you know, what is your core cap? Where, what is your core capability, right? Where is truly the thing that differentiates you? How do you make that as light and fast and flexible as possible so that you can go and play with these organizations, recognizing uh, full well that they have platforms that you're going to seek to accelerate? Yeah, we're almost out of time here. Uh, one last question for you. If you had a piece of advice or a best practice for your peers in the industry, those who are maybe not as big as Northwell, smaller organizations, uh, but are also equally interested in making the kind of progress that you've made, but may have resource constraints, budget constraints, whatever the case may be, and they're a little bit further behind and they want to catch up. What's the one or two pieces of advice you would have for these digital leaders? I think the most important technology you can apply is human. When you take the time to actually do user experience research, when you take the time to actually do the strategic planning, to understand the problem at the human level, when you take that proverbial step back and not get excited just by what the technology is going to offer, not just get excited about what all of your peers are doing, but slow down and genuinely say, what am I hearing from my staff? What am I hearing from my patients? Where can I make the biggest improvement? Nine times out of 10, you're already going to have the tech in hand. It's just going to be about optimizing workflows. It's going to be about lighting something up that you hadn't turned on before. It's going to be about solving 
problems that might not be sexy, but they are the ones that are going to make the biggest impact. And if you start there, you're going to gain the traction you need to then go back and ask for the investments for the bigger, sexier things. But it all starts with human-centered design. And so if you don't have a human-centered design practice, if you don't have a practice that involves that research and analysis into your strategic planning, and particularly the product planning for these sort of MVPs, your first your first cracks at these things. Do yourself a favor, get that baked in because then what you really start to do is evidence-based transformation. And that's what your senior leadership is going to want to hear and see when you're proving out the value of these efforts. Great advice. Oh, we're going to have to leave it there uh, today, Emily. It's such a fantastic conversation. Thank you again for setting aside your time to be with us on this podcast. And we will be following uh, your progress and cheering for you and your team from the sidelines. Thank you once again. Thanks so much, Patty. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, BeWell, for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions. 